0: Well, friends, you can um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in your Bibles or on your phone apps, and I um, want to just say a special welcome to our guest. Um, this morning, it might feel a little bit like you're hearing a family conversation, but um, actually, this scripture was written as a, a broadly um, It was intended to be read to all the churches, and so um, this message is for all of us. And so um, welcome. To you for being here and, um, a special welcome to the second row of Calvin students that are all like, we heard that you needed a whole row. Wow. Yay. Um, and, and to these, um, guys that have come in for the conference that are, have come into the, um, first row. And so blessings. They've come from, many of them from out of state. And so we're just glad to have you as well as our other guests with us. And so, um, as we continue on in this series of, um, consecration, looking at 1 Corinthians, um, we were called, we just want to review a little bit. We were called to a consecrated life, a life set apart for the Lord. Then we looked at being consecrated for unity within the body of Christ. And then we looked at being consecrated for the purpose of the gospel, which was God's wisdom, Remember, Pastor Jalisa preached that, and then Pastor Dave followed up with a message on being consecrated for specific roles, and we have callings, and the Lord met us and spoke to us about our callings on that week. Then last week, unfortunately, I was gone, but I listened online as Pastor Zach um, brought a message about being consecrated to lead faithfully, even in the face of opposition. And so, um, again, remember that if you're gone or if you're sick, you can get online and listen to the messages. And today, we're going to be looking at um, chapter five and consecrated for a holy life together. All right, so for a holy life together in community. And I'm um, going to just go ahead and read this passage, and just read along with me, um, not out loud, but just in your Bibles. <laughs> It would be kind of long to try to do that all together, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. So um, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, Paul says, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I want to just take a pause there and say what he means by that is that he has the Holy Spirit in him and he is in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit in them and they are in Christ. And so therefore there's this unity. There's nothing strange going on that we need to understand there. All right. So carrying on as one who is present with you in this way i have already passed judgment in the name of our lord jesus on the one who has been doing this so when you are assembled and i am with you in spirit and the power of our lord jesus is present hand this man over to satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the lord you're boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or slanderer a drunkard or swindler do not even eat with such people what business of it what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church are you not to judge those inside god will judge those outside expel the wicked person from among you this is the word of the lord thanks be to God indeed. All right, so Pastor Zach started with a pet peeve of his last week, and I thought, okay, I'll tell you a pet peeve of mine. Um, And it is this. I'm going to make an announcement. It's winter in Michigan. And that's not the pet peeve. The pet peeve is this. When um, work has been done to try to clean the floor and mop the floor and get it clean, and then snow comes in winter in Michigan, and it mixes with the dirt in your backyard, and then the little boots come in, or it melts off your car in the garage if you have if you're blessed to have a garage. Um, it melts, and then the grease and the dirt from the floor mixes with the snow on your boots and comes in, yes, and it comes in, and if you 're not careful, it tracks right into your house. Maybe you can feel the tension, any of you that ever mop the floor. And I know it's not just the women in this church that mop the floor. And so you have this clean floor and suddenly it comes in. Now feel how it feels when you accidentally track in. Like don't you just go, oh no. And you, you know, you realize it's clean and you quickly get it cleaned up. But what would it feel like and what does it feel like if somebody intentionally has muddy boots or greasy, grimy, slushy boots, and they would just purposefully and unashamedly just walk on your clean floor. And what would it feel like if the person in charge of the house, the housemate or whoever was kind of, you know, calling it out, what if they disregarded that and just, sure, yeah, whatever, go ahead, and go on on the beige carpet too, why not? Like, that would just be chaotic, right? And it would just be a mess. Yes? All right. This is what was happening in the church. And Paul's calling them out because it's getting muddied up. And that's what's happening in the church in Corinth. So the big idea, if you want to hear the big idea of this sermon, it's this. When sin infiltrates the church, God calls the church to holy living by instituting discipline, church discipline. So the problem was that the church was failing to enact the discipline, and the result was that the church that was meant to bring glory to the Lord and be a witness to the world was, the light was dim and was getting muddied because of sin. Alright, the church in Corinth wasn't just tolerating sin, they were proud of it. Alright, they were boasting. A man was having sex with his Father's wife, likely his stepmother, that's called incest, and it's wrong. And somehow they're proud and they're boasting about it. So there's different thoughts on how could this even possibly be. But you know that they were really interested and they got their value, their self-esteem, from who they were associated with. You know, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Apollos. Well, maybe this person, this man, had a high position in society. Just like if we all of a sudden had, you know, let's just say a senator that was a member of our church. Maybe they were just feeling proud and kind of overlooking that because they were so glad to have him on the roster of membership for the church. Or perhaps they were confused about grace. And they thought, well, there's grace to cover it. And so aren't we blessed That we can just keep on sinning, and grace will cover it. Well, either one of these things would be a mistake. And so Paul's calling it out, and he says it would be more appropriate to go into mourning. You certainly shouldn't be boasting about this. All right. Sin spreads like leaven through a batch of dough. How many of you are bread makers? A couple, right? I see your hand back there. All right, so there's a couple. So this whole word picture might just pass you by if you don't know how bread is made. But bread is made by taking your flour and your oil and whatever, and then um, if it's going to be a raised bread, you put yeast in it. Well, remember, they didn't have the grocery store to go to get the little packets of Fleshman's um, Fast Rising Yeast. And so what they did is they would have this yeast, this living organism in the bread, and it would cause it to rise up. And they would just, when they were mixing their dough together, and I started to try to illustrate this and bring in something, but it's so sticky and messy that I tried to imagine how it would be to try to knead bread. And it would be all over the flour. It's sticky. That's how thin is. It's sticky, and it gets all over. But they would pull back a little ball of this bread, and that would be their leaven, And they'd save that for the next time they made dough. And they'd put that in the dough, and that would be the living organism that would start to rise the bread again. But over time, their hands were touching it. They were putting it in little earthen jars. that, If you've ever been over in the Middle East, it is dusty, no matter what you do to try to keep things dusted because of the sand in the desert. And so germs... And dust and dirt are getting mixed into the bread as it goes on. And that leaven is symbolic for sin. And so when he's talking to them about the leavened bread, he's talking about how sin just starts to work its way through the dough. And it um, sticks and it grows. What starts small gets big. It bubbles up. And then he talks about The Passover, and at the time of the Passover celebration, they would get rid of all the leaven in the house, and they'd start with the pure ingredients again without the leaven, without the yeast. It marked God's people as set apart and consecrated. The Passover meal was to remind them they're a set apart, consecrated people. They've been delivered from their oppressors. So active sin in a church, the reason he brought up this whole picture, is that active sin is like leaven in a batch of dough. And when you look at a batch of dough that has yeast in it, it rises, right? It would be the difference between a nice big fat loaf of bread and a flat tortilla. And he says, when the world looks at the church and sin's growing up in it, it's obvious to them. They can see the difference between a big fat loaf of bread and a tortilla, all right? Because sin puffs up, and it keeps growing. Sin is serious, and he says it should be disciplined by the church. And he names some sins, and I want to go over these from verse 11. He says the sexually immoral, and he's talking about all sexual sin, but he names this one in particular, incest. But the list of sin isn't just limited to sexual sin. He talks about greed, which is um, selfishness with your resources, those lacking generosity with their time or their service. Have you ever heard people complain that the church in general, now I'm not saying this is true of this church, but that 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've heard that before. But when there's greediness, it cannot just be with your finances. It can be with any resource that you have. All right, idolaters, having anyone or anything else taking the place of your worship, your time, attention, other than the Lord. What takes first place in your life? Is it gaming? Is it hobbies? What is taking you know, is it shopping? What What is it? Are there things that are taking first place? That's sin. All right. All yeah. Slanders. Verbally abusive. With your um, language, gossip. And that's a sin. Um, anybody that stirs up trouble by what they say. All right. So our mouths can be used for sin, just like they can be used for blessing. A drunkard obviously misuse and abuse of alcohol but that can really represent all addictions so pornography gluttony like anything that we're turning toward for so as a crutch something that we're turning toward for comfort where we should be turning to the lord and then a swindler somebody that's crooked dishonest and an embezzler think about the seriousness of Ananias and Sapphira When they lied about their gift to the church in Acts 5, sin is serious. Now, God doesn't expect, he doesn't look at us and expect us to live a sinless life. He knows that we're living here on earth. But he does, and that's not what's being called out here. What's being called out is flagrant, blatant sin that's unrepentant. All right, so when you walk in on the floor and you didn't mean to muddy it up, but you quickly clean it up, That's the same as when you accidentally step into a sin and you say, Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I feel the conviction of the Spirit, and I apologize to the Lord. Maybe I apologize to a person. And so that is humility. That is trying to learn to walk in the holiness of Christ. And that's different than just charging ahead, doing something I know is wrong, but I want to do it. Or I just choose to keep going in this rut of sin. And that's what's being addressed. And God's calling the church, you should address this sin. All right. Why should they address the sin? Well, failure to address sin and enact discipline, it impacts the sinner, and it also impacts the congregation, and it impacts the church's witness. All right. So if you're in sin and you're actively operating in sin, And I'm just not paying like I'm not trying to eyeball anyone in particular, but I just want to say we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we remain in sin, we're not living our life to the fullest. We're not living in the flourishing and the beauty of what God has designed for our lives, and so we don't have the fullness of joy. We don't have the fullness of peace because we're rebelling against God and His ways. All right, the failure to discipline sin is also a sign of the church's unfaithfulness to God and negligence toward her fellow members. And so somewhat like the homeowner who fails to stop the muddy boots from charging in, or very much like a parent who doesn't set boundaries and teach children to live under authority, um, if you don't do that, the house becomes chaotic if we don't exercise discipline in the church, the church becomes chaotic and confused. Where sin can live unhindered, the church remains merely a social gathering. Inclusion is not a justice issue if it calls for inclusion of those who are actively and willfully breaking God's commands. That is a sin issue that needs loving discipleship and even discipline. The interpretation commentary says this, there's a self-perpetuating feedback loop between failure to discipline and our timidity towards the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Spirit in our midst. So there's a connection. If you're um, actively sinning and you're failing to exercise discipline, you're also timid And probably resisting. So let me say it in a different way. We're quenching the Holy Spirit when we're sinning. So therefore, we're not welcoming the manifestations of his power and his presence, but we're actually quenching. And so it's no wonder that revival that we're so longing for, it actually often starts through repentance. Now, he says in verse 4, So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord is present, excommunicate the sinner, hand them over to Satan. Verse 5, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The person is no longer in Christ and covered by his shed blood. And so they now remain in their sins and open to the torment that Satan is legally allowed to bring because of their unconfessed sins. The only relief that comes, comes through Jesus and by way of the cross. And so when they are repentant, they go back to the cross and say, Jesus, you did that for me, I'm so sorry that I've sinned, I accept your forgiveness, please bring me back into relationship Not only with you, but with the church. That's the way of restoration is through repentance. All right. I just gave you a lot of information about what was going on in the church in Corinth. Now, I want to talk about what is going on in the church today, and particularly in North America, because there's a problem that we aren't seeing discipline exercised actively, and it's hurting our churches, and it's hurting our witness. And I think it's due to a number of reasons. And when I share these reasons with you, these are not excuses, okay? Can you just turn to somebody and say, these are not excuses? All right. What these are is to try to help you understand some of the wrong thinking and help raise awareness of this. So first of all, there's biblical illiteracy. People don't know what's in the Bible because they're not reading it. If you are not reading the Bible, then how do you know what's in it and what it says about what's right, what's wrong, how to live? And so it's understandable that particularly in light of human sexuality and our Western culture that has raised sexuality into a a position of idolatry, that they have trying to redefine marriage. As something other than what Bible teaches of one man and one woman. But if you just listen to the culture and you listen to what's being said and you're not reading your word and studying it seriously as a student, you just may not know. There's also confusion about what is the church. Is the church a place where I go and attend and I seek to be inspired? That's really not a biblical understanding about what the Bible says about the church. The church is a covenanted community where we engage the word and we seek to encourage each other in him who is the word to be obedient to him. And so there's an active call to be covenanted, to be committed to each other, an allegiance to live under the authority of scripture and to try to encourage each other for the purpose of being able to share the good news with the world. Making sense? Yeah? All right. Another reason or impact that um, is really causing um, discipleship and discipline to really struggle in the church is this whole Western culture of individualism. All right? And so it's really that's a, a view of where, you know, kind of what I, what i it's all about me. And I'm not thinking about how my personal choices are impacting the community. There's a Jewish midrash or a commentary that asks the question, can one person's sin impact everyone? And so the story goes um, that there was a group of men on a ship. And so these group of men on the ship and one person has what they called a bore like a drill. And they're just drilling under their seat in the bottom of the boat. And so the question is what does you know what are you doing? What are you doing? Somebody looks at him and says, "What are you doing?" And he says, "Well, what does it matter to you? I'm just boring under my seat." And the response is, yes, yes, it matters because the water's going to come up and flood the whole boat and the ship for all of us. This is an example of where individualism, when we're just thinking about what I'm doing affects me, it shouldn't really matter to you that I'm drilling a hole in this boat. Well, that's what we're doing in the church when we're just, just having my private sin. You know, uh, actually, it can impact us all. Because we see in Joshua 7, Achan's disobedience of claiming loot from Jericho brought the Lord's disfavor on all of Israel. And so what we do individually impacts the community. All right, stay with me. There's a few other cultural influences. Now, we need to understand there's a spirit of the age of the air that is not the Lord that is very much at work in our culture. And so what are these things that we're up against that maybe we don't even know until we name? First of all, the cancel culture. What does that mean? If I say something you don't like, but I just cancel you. You know, you cancel me, you know? And do you see that? Like somebody said something, I unfriend them. All right? If the church says, this is a sin and you don't like it? You might just unfriend. So I just, we've been preaching. We're very open about trying to, as best we understand, humbly say, this is what the word teaches. We had somebody that was worshiping with us for um, over a year. We said one thing they didn't like because it was a sin. Cancel. Never come back. Let us know. I'm not coming back. That's cancel culture. All right, there's also a growing soft tyranny in our country. And I'm just telling you, this is a teaching sermon, so stay with me in your brain, because I'm trying to help you understand there are things that you may not even realize that are coming against and and confusing you. But God's scripture is very clear that sin is sin, and the church is supposed to disciple each other, help us understand what sin is. There's soft tyranny in our country. And it's blatantly anti-Christ and anti-Christian. And Rod Dreyer wrote a book called Live Not by Lies. And he told a couple of examples, and I'm just going to share a couple with you. He said that there are universities in the University of California system that require that any professor that wants to become a tenured track where they can be, you know, as a professor staying with the system, have to affirm their commitment to equity diversity, and inclusion. And even if it doesn't have anything to do with their field and of what they teach, they have to not only profess to that, but they have to have demonstrated it to be eligible to be a tenured professor. Another example is that um, politically correct loyalty oaths are required at many leading public and private schools, and that some medical institutions are requiring doctors to offer sex change treatments to patients that they do not feel it would be in their best interest, but because of their health institutions are requiring this. These are examples of cultural influence of the soft tyranny that's at work in our country to impose ideologies that make it difficult to stand under Scripture as Christians. When that starts to influence our thinking, then it can cause confusion in the church. And so, again, we have to know what this word says. Another influence is just mistrust of authority. Um, many people um, are just never taught to have respect for authority. The sad story, and I'm not going to comment on the whole thing, but when we read that somebody, a mother, says, LOL, you know, you just shouldn't get caught. I'm not mad at you, but you just shouldn't get caught when your child has done something that the school's calling out, and I'm referring to that whole situation, the very sad situation in Rockford, or Oxford. Not Rockford, Oxford. But you know, when a parent is saying, LOL, when a teacher calls them out on something that they're doing that's wrong and dangerous, and they just say, Oh, I'm not mad at you, just don't learn to get, not get caught, that is teaching rebellion to authority and um, mistrust of authority. All right. Moral relativism. Again, I said stay with me in your brain, right? You're you're staying with me? This is a cultural thing that is coming against the church and making it more difficult for discipline. So moral relativism is a whatever world. Whatever is good for you, you do. And whatever is good for me, I'll do. And we usually make these decisions if you're just going with the culture based on my feelings or what's popular. All right. Well, if the church members have adopted this whatever world idea, well, then if they get said, you know, hey, I noticed that you really were kind of bashing this person and, you know, gossiping. Well, what's it to you? Whatever. I can do whatever I want. You know, that's an attitude that really makes us resist this discipleship and discipline. If church leaders get influenced by this whatever world, then they're not going to be likely to call out sin in somebody else, right? Because they'll be afraid, like, well, it's probably okay. Whatever they do is okay. Well, our our office bearers, we look to be mature, and they know what this scripture says. But this influence is out there. All right. To fail to teach truth and to enact discipline where needed is an act of negligence, indifference, and a lack of moral courage, whether we're talking about being parents or we're talking about being leaders in the church. Final thing, all right? Another thing that comes against and makes it difficult for church discipline is people just don't like conflict. How many of you would say, I'd prefer not to have conflict? How many of you know that you cannot have peace if you don't address the root problems? Yeah. And so in the church, even though it's not pleasant, we engage conversations in a loving manner when we feel like there is sin going on because we want the goal of peace. All right, we've gone through a lot of challenges in trying to raise our awareness of what might be influencing us to be a little rebellious or resistant or maybe our office bearers to be a little resistant or tentative about having conversations with us. The good news is that God gives us his word, his authority, and his Holy Spirit to equip the church leaders to lovingly make disciples And also, when needed, to discipline the congregation because it protects the church and it helps our witness to be effective. Paul used his God-given authority as an apostle and a spiritual father to call out the sin of inclusion and acceptance of this believer who was blatantly sinning. He knows what scripture says. Paul was biblically literate. He knew that Leviticus 18.8 says, Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife that would dishonor your father. He knew that Deuteronomy 22 said, A man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. He knew the scripture, and he was applying it as a spiritual father. All right. Paul was calling the church to obey Jesus' command to address sin. Matthew 18. 15 to 18 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right? Jesus said, address sin. And Paul's saying, know what your scripture says. Think about what Jesus himself taught. And Paul then says in verse 9 and 10, he says, He calls the church not to associate with a brother or sister who's actively, blatantly, unrepentantly sinning in the ways mentioned. And that word to associate is a very unusual and rare compound word. And what it means is to mix together, to join, to fuse, or to blend, just like that leaven is sticky and it works and it joins and it blends. And he says, don't associate, don't get blended in, don't get joined together with those that are actively sinning against the Lord. You're to enact discipline. All right, in our Advent reading that we started the service with this morning, we were reminded that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets to help shape the people in whom God is revealed. And that goal is for God's bright glory to shine and everyone in the world to see it. And Paul is prophetically speaking to the church in Corinth, trying to help them to be a bright light. And his word for everybody that's within the hearing today, the Lord is speaking to us prophetically to live into our true identity as new creations who grow up into our Christ-likeness. God's grace is bountiful in our text. He says Jesus is the Passover lamb. We remember that his death is how we can be positionally holy. And then we also, by his spirit, grow into and are empowered to keep growing in his holiness as we live according to his word. In our discipleship efforts, remember we've done this 40 weeks of discipleship. We're having vulnerable conversations. We're sharing with each other our struggles, and we ask each other for prayer for each other. We're following biblical guidance there. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we're having a trouble with sin, we're not trying to hide it or sit and drill under our seats. Mm -hmm. No, we're actually saying, I'm struggling with this. And this is a beautiful work of the way that the Lord puts us in community to encourage, to bless each other. And so we don't need to be ashamed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We don't need to be ashamed of our sin struggle, but we do need to share with people, ask for prayer. That's trying to walk out this walk of holiness. We share our victories, we share our struggles, and this is pleasing to the Lord. The goal of discipline, if there's a resistant sin that keeps going in the church, the goal of the discipline and of handing them over is ideally for the destruction of the flesh, which means the rebellious human nature that resists God, for the purpose of the salvation of their spirit and for restoration And so, discipline is gracious, and a church that exercises discipline authority is a community that's acquainted with the Spirit's power. Now, I want to close by just telling you a brief story of what happened about eight years ago here at Gold Avenue Church. There was somebody that was living in blatant rebellion, having difficult, difficult conversations with the leadership of this church, and... Discipline was exercised according to our church order. The church order lays out very clear steps. And so lovingly having conversations, trying to call the person to live in holiness, that resisted. And so first act of discipline was to say, without naming their name, church, there's somebody among us that's living in sin. And so we're calling the church to pray. That person persisted in sin, and so second order of discipline was to start to name some details. This is perhaps the name of the person. This is the sin that's happening. And um, then privileges can be just like if you were parenting and you start to take away some privileges as part of the discipline. All right, you can't partake of communion. You can't have your children baptized if you're going to continue in this sin. Um, Those kind of restrictions. The person continued in their sin. And so for a person to be excommunicated or set out of the fellowship, it has to go to our classes. And so Gold Avenue Church Leadership took this to the classes and said, we have a person that's resisting authority, is living in active sin, And the church has, the classes has to agree, yes, you've taken the proper steps and bless this activity of setting somebody out of the fellowship. Well, when they gave that permission, somebody raised their hand, one of the delegates, and said, could we pray for this person and could we pray for Gold Avenue Church? And we saw the power of God move in a, in a way that we have not seen in our classes meetings lament like just people started to grieve over sin and cry over it and they started to pray and confess and they confess not only the sin but they confess the sin of not enacting discipline in their own churches and the way that it was hurting the witness of the church in this region and the power of God was present when this all this conversation and so that was a move of God And I believe it was a a moment of raising awareness that we do need to be conscientious because this is actually an act of love for each other. It's an act of love to God, to respect his word. It's an act of love to our community to try to be a witness so that they can see there's a different way, there's an orderly way, there's a joyful way to live in community because obviously, even as we prayed Today, or in prayer, there's a lot of families that don't even live in peace and harmony. And so the church is meant to be a different witness, countercultural. And so in closing, I thought, how do I close a sermon about church discipline and about this? I mean, thank you for staying with the Lord and scripture and me this morning about such a serious matter. But I felt like the Lord just... Really put on my heart to give a call, a charge to our church leaders and to us as a congregation. And so I have a scripture and I'm going to read this. And I'm going to ask that if you are an elder in this church, if you are a campus pastor or have responsibilities as an elder in another church or retired pastor, Active pastor somewhere else, if you're a pastor, an elder, or leader in some capacity, I'm going to read this scripture. And if you accept this charge and you renew your vow to be faithful to the Lord, Romans 126 to 10 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it's in serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. If you will receive this charge before the Lord as a charge... From the Lord to you, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. And I'm going to ask you to continue to stand as I read this charge to all of us. This is from Hebrews 13:7 7 and 17. And so, church, will you receive this charge from the Lord himself? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so, congregation, if you're able, physically able to stand and say, I accept this charge. I will remember my leaders. I will submit to their authority. I will welcome discipleship and discipline for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to invite you to stand. And so I'm going to close in prayer. The Lord sees your heart posture. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to pray, and then the rest of us will stand together. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your holiness. Thank you for this call to consecrate ourselves in life together for your glory, for our good. And so, Lord, see our hearts. And now would you continue to teach us your ways and guide us in the right paths. For your name's sake and all God's people said, amen.